Channel 10. <laughs> Yo. Yo. Welcome back to the Channel 10 podcast. On today's episode, we have DeRay McKesson. DeRay rose to prominence during the aftermath of the killing of Michael Brown uh, during the protests. And um, he is widely recognized as a leader in the Black Lives Matter movement. And now he's running for mayor of Baltimore. Uh, So, you know, in this episode, we really got into um, his Baltimore roots and spoke to him in a candid way, um, you know, regarding a lot of things. And um, I thought it was a dope episode, man. What would you take away from it? Uh, Yeah. um, You know, what I took away from it was just his, uh, you know, his, his humble beginnings, you know, uh, growing up on Pressbury and Poplar Grove, you know, for our Baltimore listeners, um, you know, hanging out at Shake and Bake as a kid and uh, listening to Big Tony and K-Swift and the Big Fat Morning Show, just, you know, everything Baltimore, just, you know, getting, just sitting around, you know, getting getting a chance to talk to him about all that type of stuff. Yeah, that was uh, really interesting. And then um, also, too, um, you know, we talked about, um, you know, some of the more political aspects of everything, like regarding uh, political financing and, you know, what it takes to really pull off, um, you know, a successful political campaign. And uh, we dispel some of the uh, myths and rumors regarding DeRay when it comes to his finances. Um, You know, a lot of people on the internets are calling him a millionaire but um you know as you'll see in this interview that's uh far from the truth you know he's just like us just trying to get his phone bill paid you know but um we definitely appreciate it having DeRay on the show um you know thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us thank you so much for taking the time to listen and uh everybody who's listening um I hope you go back and check out our archives on channel10podcast.com if you want to support the show, uh, you can go ahead and go on to patreon.com slash channel 10 podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash channel 10 podcast. Uh, if you go to Patreon, you can sign up for an account and uh, you can pledge your support on a per episode basis. You can pledge one dollar, five, a hundred, you know, whatever you can spare. It definitely goes to uh, hosting costs and you know various other fees when it comes to bringing you this great content that we deliver every week and if you go ahead and pledge any amount we'll go ahead and give you a shout out at the top of the show shout out your twitter your instagram handle whatever you like Um, also today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com and you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash channel 10. There you'll have over 180,000 audiobook titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or whatever other type of MP3 player device you use. Um, I listen to a lot of books on Audible. I listen to Ta-Nehisi Coates' most recent book, Um, I'm listening to Michelle Alexander's book now. Um, It's great for the drive. If you like listening to podcasts, I definitely suggest you sign up at audibletrial.com slash channel 10. And um, as always, please, please, please rate, subscribe, and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Uh, Reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, wherever else you can get our links at channel 10 podcast.com. And I think, uh, did we cover all the bases there? 
Uh, yeah, I think we did. All right. Well, now that all the business is taken care of, let's start the show. We used to be like CNN Channel 10, and we used to think that people would catch on. <laughs> no, but like, if you're not from Queens, <laughs> if you don't got Time Warner or whatever, <laughs> like, well, I didn't know that. Do it, yo. yo, what up, man? It's a different channel, son. What up? On, man. What up? Watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. It's all good. What up? All good, baby, in every hood, son. What up? Yep. CNN, Network, Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Bold face, get in your face. Stay in place, yo, crime lace. Cast more beef than Scarface. CNN, Network, Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Bold face, get in your face. Stay in place, yo, crime lace. Yo. Yo. We're back once again. It's the Channel 10 Podcast, and it's uh, the almighty AR alongside... Singar Superior. And today we have a very esteemed guest. Um, as you can see, uh, you're probably reading the title of the episode here. Um, you know, uh, some people will call him the Black Lives Matter activist. Other people will refer to him as the Baltimore mayoral candidate. Um, but we're talking to him just as a fellow Baltimorean. We have DeRay McKesson. How's it going? Oh, it's good to be here. Thanks for the invite. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for uh, speaking with us this evening. Um, so I guess to get into it, we kind of want to talk about your Baltimore roots. So um, where in the city um, are you from? I am. I grew up like Poplar Grove and Presbury. Uh, okay. I think it's called. Somebody told me that's like Coppin Heights or something now. Uh, right. It's called. Yeah. I, was, <laughs> I ain't never heard that. Um, and then uh, my grandmother has always lived around Hilton, like around the Hilton supermarket, okay. in that area. Uh, and uh, and then we moved to Catonsville for six to twelfth grade. Uh-huh. Uh, and yeah, so that was it. I, I now live in, around Roland Park, which is very different than, uh, you know, Pablo Govan Presbury, but that's where I was born and raised. Okay. Now, what are some of your uh, earliest memories, um, you know, being around the area? Oh, you know, you know, where do I start? It is. Uh, so I went to Rosemont Elementary School and we mm-hmm. went to school every day. So those are fond memories. You know, it was back then, you know, I was born in 85, uh, back in the 90s, early 90s, it was, you know, my father didn't let us, my father, both my parents were drug addicts, my father uh, raised us, my mother left when I was three, so he uh, got clean around when I was three, and and we we couldn't really go to the playground or anything like that, because it was still hev- heavily uh, a, a site of drug use, Um so that was the early days, but we spent a lot of time at Hilton with my grandmother, and and, and that was so great. As as with everybody, you know, the Kinderman and all those other. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. I saw Baltimore. My, I actually saw the Kinderman on Facebook. I was like, Lord, he's still out there. <laughs> or like Stan Stovall. You know, I was just talking to somebody about Stan Stovall, Kai Kai Jackson, and uh-huh. the niece Kai. Like all those people that I remember from like watching the news as a kid. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kai Jackson has gotten pretty great now. <laughs> yeah, and Marty Bass, you know Marty, yeah. Marty, Manic Monday. You know, I feel like I used to wake up to Manic Monday on Mondays, and or like they don't even have you know Garfield and Friends, like they you know those cartoons that we used to watch before we went to school. How old are y'all? Uh, I'm 29, and uh, we're actually from the Coppin Heights area. I guess you would call it now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Look at that. We were neighbors. <laughs> yeah, and um, and and I'm 25. Cool. Yeah. Do you remember? Um, I don't know if you've been to Mondawmin recently, but um, uh, uh, have you seen the remodeling of it? 
I have. I remember when they called it Black Marsh. You remember that? <laughs> Black Marsh. I don't remember. I don't remember people calling it that. Like yeah. opposite, like opposite to White Marsh. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you used to get the uh, those necklaces up, Madame. Like the the girls used to get the like the necklace with your name on it. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the earrings with the name on it. Yeah, we used to get the uh, the lemon, the lemon with the uh, with the mint in it. Yeah, you remember that? <laughs> remember the onion pickles? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, do they even sell onion pickles in the store like they used to? I don't know. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, still in neighborhood corner stores. Yeah, yeah. I don't onion pickles up. <laughs> yeah, and then the chicken boxes. <laughs> salt pepper ketchup. Salt pepper ketchup all day. <laughs> I'm telling you, if I if I never eat another pack of oodles noodles before I die, I'm good. <laughs> I, my grandmother used to buy those like, uh, like the eighty packs. She's like, Grandma, don't nobody want this much chicken. The chicken flavor <laughs> is played. I can't swallow the chicken flavor no more. Beef was good, you know. And it's it wasn't until I left Baltimore that I realized that people called it ramen in other places. Yeah. Like, what's ramen? We ain't never had no ramen. <laughs> Just throw hot sauce in there. Yeah. <laughs> that's gross. My uh, <laughs> eggs in it. It's like, that's that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. Those are the fun memories. Uh, anybody listening is not from Baltimore. That's a, you know, <laughs> that's kind of what it was like growing up here. And K Swift. K Swift is such a part of my like childhood, you know. Mm-hmm. And Miss Tony say hi, one carry it. That's like what the radio was to me. Yeah, the nine o'clock mix. The nine o'clock mix. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> said to me, they were like, Dre, uh, they said something about the Big Fat Morning Show. And I was like, I forgot all about Mark Clark and the Big Fat Morning Show. I'm still upset about that. <laughs> yeah. Is he still around? Um, I think he has a show in New York somewhere now. Um, I just saw something about him recently, but he's still around. But um, you know, they have a syndicated show on ninety two Q in the morning now. Um, I yeah, think it's Ricky Smiley. Smiley. Yeah, yeah. But I miss the uh, breakfast flakes. And I, you know, is it do? You, I remember when people said. I remember when people said that we you couldn't go to Shake and Bake. Uh, is Shake and Bake? Can people go to Shake and Bake now? Um, it's still rough. Yeah, I think they might have changed the name. <laughs> that was really nice. It's still rough. <laughs> 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 um, I believe they closed down and changed the name. It might not be the same thing anymore. It's been a while since I've actually driven down uh, down past there. Yeah, and there's like another skater a skater rink now, like somewhere in Woodlawn. I think that a lot of the kids go to nowadays. Yeah, it's right up by the station, right up by um by Radio One on um on Whitehead, I think. Yeah. Yeah, but um, I guess. Um, do you remember, um, you know, being three years old when your father, uh, got clean, do you remember the transition or like, you know, the change, um, you know, just in your lifestyle, um, around that time? No, I don't, but I do know what it was like to grow up, uh, in a community of recovery, you know, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. around so many people putting their lives back together. And and I do remember those NA meetings, uh, Mm -hmm. sitting in the back and I know what was going on, but just playing with the, uh, the kids of other people who were getting their life together. So. Uh, that's such a that's such a powerful part of the way I think about my own uh, sort of upbringing. Uh-huh. And my great grandmother lived with us uh, for for so much of my childhood, and I have fond memories of, of her too. So I do think about recovery often. Uh-huh. Now, now, do your uh, did your father did he just go through counseling or did he go through like like methadone treatments? No, just NA. Okay. 
Now, when you um, uh, went to Catonsville, was it like a culture shock? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I'd never gone to school with white people before. Mm. So that was different. And I remember, I do remember being a kid being, you know, I never really had a, like, I don't remember white teachers. So it was, so I remember being a kid being like white, white teachers are always right. Right. I just didn't know, like, because the white people on, on TV shows were always right. <laughs> and I remember, I like vividly remember being like, wow, all the white people and that, that they were just right. That like whiteness was a whiteness and what it meant to be right were synonymous. Uh, and obviously I, I spent so much of my time talking about and thinking about race and, and my own story is one of unlearning, right? I had to unlearn that. Because uh, uh. um, in Baltimore, you know, all my teachers were, everybody was black. The kids were black, the teachers were black, the, everybody was black. So it was different. Uh. Now, um, did you experience any overt racism, um, you know, once you got into that new environment? No, not that I can think. You know, I was I was the sixth grade representative, and I was student body president in middle school and high school. So I don't. Um, so I, I I can't. I don't remember anything that was overly problematic. Mm-hmm. Which just definitely doesn't mean that it wasn't there, right? Uh, yeah. So was it just uh, was it just you there, or did your your sister eventually follow you there? Yeah, we both went. So she is a year older. So I went to Keynes, Ohio. She went to um, she went to Western Tech. Okay. Oh, oh, cool. Now, when you were um, when you were there, um, I guess uh, academically, was there um, a difference between, um, or did you like notice like any type of difference uh, between the way that the classes were when you were in city schools versus the county? I think I just I, I no I'd be lying if I said that there was some deep difference. Uh-huh. I, I I was so young that um, I don't remember that I, I wasn't in a comparative framework. Like I just didn't know. Okay. Now, um, I guess speaking to your uh, student body experience um, when it comes to like the student government and everything like that, um, and now you know, with your political aspirations, um, did you have those, uh, those types of aspirations when you were younger? I've always been focused on like, what can we do to, to make the world better for people? Right. Uh-huh. Ever since I was a kid, you know, I think about my work was so heavily in children, youth and families. I was an organizer here in the city in 99 when I was a teenager, uh-huh. you know, when I came back after college uh, and after teaching in New York city, I, um, opened up an after school center out of Ashburton on the West side. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so so that work that's always been key to my work. And then when Mike Brown got killed, um, that really changed it to be about these issues of of police violence. You know, right. So um, I guess in those earlier experiences, um, you know, doing that work of the after school program, um, uh, what are some of the lessons that you took away from that? Oh, so many. You know, people want the best for their kids. Uh-huh. They, so many people don't know the sheer amount of resources that are out there, or they don't trust those resources. You know, we had incredible, we had a waiting list of people who wanted to be in our program uh, and wanted to come. And, and that was really, it was powerful. It was a powerful reminder of people wanting the best for their kids at every time. I knew it as a teacher, and I knew it again as a, somebody who ran an after school, out of school center. 
Um, I'm trying to think of what else did I learn? Like, we need to leave space for kids to be kids, right? They're like, they're way, like, kids need joy. Kids want to be successful. That was probably my biggest lesson from teaching is, you know, I taught sixth grade math. And, and a lot of people are math phobic, right? They like don't think they're smart, they whatever. Uh, everybody wants to experience success and our work as teachers is, is like to craft those moments of success for students. Uh, and those were, that was like a big learning. And then I worked in the central office here in Baltimore as the number two in human capital uh, in the school system. And, um, and the work was then about finding great teachers and great staff members to work in schools or around schools. And, you know, we hired 800 teachers a year as a lot of teachers, and that was really different and hard work. Uh, now, do you feel that um, that a lot of times, um, I guess, uh, black youth, especially from impoverished areas, um, do you feel like the stereotype is that they don't want those things like like people think that they don't want to be successful? Yeah, I think that people are like, they don't care. People don't want, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. I think that the reality is that uh, so many people, especially here, don't know. They just don't know, right? They don't know. I think about what I did when I was a kid. Um, like, where where did I go to hang out, right? Where, where, where could we go? Like, I couldn't take public transportation anywhere, because, and who wants to sit down in the harbor all day? Like, so how do we create different experiences for kids? I think it's like a real work that we need to do in the city. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And um, when you were working um, uh, for human capital at the uh, school system, um, I guess now there's this issue with the uh, ghost students and the ghosts or the phantom teachers or anything like that. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that whole that whole situation? You know, what I know from working on the inside is that the work around the data is actually really complicated. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I have more questions than I have answers about that uh-huh. um, and want to want to learn a little bit more. Uh, yeah, so I have a lot of questions. I don't have any statements right now. Okay. Now, um, when the Mike Brown situation first um, happened, you were working in Minneapolis, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, I guess what was that feeling like when you first saw it and and just, you know, got that feeling that you actually wanted to travel out there to St. Louis? Yeah, you know, I, I, it, it was like a calling, right? And I was just answering the call. Like mm-hmm. I saw it on Twitter and I was like, I, I need to go. I want to go. It was that simple. Uh-huh. Um and I got in the car, drove nine hours, didn't know anybody, put on Facebook that I was going, and, and the rest is history, you know? And I, and I went to stand, I went to be a witness, and I got tear gas, and I was like, oh, this is not it. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, did you ever um, envision or see yourself, um, you know, previously, um, you know, being involved in that type of protest? Or it was just like that calling just happened at that moment. Oh, I no, I never would have. I had no clue. Uh, and, and I guess uh, what are some of the, um, you know, the, the the lessons and the takeaways that you took from uh, being in that situation? Um, you know, being tear gas and and you know just seeing the militarization of the police force out there. Uh, you know. 
it was such a powerful um, statement about people coming together, you know? Because there's this narrative that people, like young people, don't care about anything, they're not willing to do anything, and then all of a sudden this whole community emerged that otherwise never would have come together. People who never would be in the same space suddenly were in the same space. Uh, and we were on protests, right? And there was no organization that started it. There was no one, two, or three people that started it. It was like people came out and, and it emerged. And that is just so powerful. Like that is a story of the movement. It's amazing. It's incredible. So, um, hmm. now, mm-hmm. now, um, at the time, did you see um, like what uh, types of parallels do you see between Ferguson and Baltimore? I mean, resistance, right? That mm-hmm. they're like still communities of resistance. Ferguson is incomparable to everything else. It was it it, it was so different. It is so different. The community in protest is different. So there's no. Um, there is nothing that compares. Uh, the spirit of protest is similar. Uh, and what is different about Baltimore is, um, is that Baltimore is the only city that had that much, where the, uh, where the, where the intensity of the protest was like that during the day. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Now, um, did you ever, I guess, you know, when everything was happening in Ferguson, um, did you ever expect that there would be a situation here and uh, protests like that here? No. Ooh, no, no, not necessarily. What I, what I did know, right, is that, the, um, is that the issue of police violence was everywhere, right? Uh-huh. And it took people a long time across the country to accept that. We knew it from the moment Mike got killed. And then uh, Kajim got killed, and, and Antonio got killed, and Von Derek got killed, right? Like, we, it was clear in St. Louis that, like, this is a, a, a problem, it's a crisis. And then we watched people across the country wake up to the crisis. So it was only a matter of time before he hit home. Mm-hmm. So another, um, another incident that happened some years ago in Baltimore that, in a sense, kind of uh, brought people together in the city was the uh, firebombing of the Dawson family. And so I'm just curious to know, like, you know, where were you during that time? Were you in college during that time? And and when it happened and it made national headlines, like, you know, what were your, your thoughts on that during, during that time? Yeah, I was here. Um, it was a, it was obviously huge. We all remember the Dawson family, you know? Yeah. I didn't, I remember wanting to go to the funeral, but it was so much, everybody went, it was like so much traffic that I didn't go that day. Uh, I remember the press conference. I remember hearing about it on the news. I remember that the father didn't immediately die, right? It was like he jumped out of the window and died later at the hotel, I mean, at the hospital. So, yeah, yeah I remember so much about that. You know, I didn't, uh, we weren't born woke, right? Something woke us up. Uh-huh. And, and for me, Mike Brown's death was what woke me up. Uh-huh. And, you know, there, Tyrone West got killed here, and I didn't know. And the Dawson family uh, was really, was tragic. It, uh, and so many people organized around it. I didn't, like, I didn't understand the, how systemic some of this stuff was. Uh-huh. Um, and it wasn't until Mike's, Mike's death that, like, really woke me up. Yeah, I, I, I think that one of the... Um 
one of the issues is that, you know, a lot of people have this mentality of uh, tough on crime and increasing police presence and police force and not getting to those those other issues of, of you know, what's actually happening in the communities, like the education and the joblessness and the things that create certain conditions. And then on top of that, you know, they, they militarize the police forces to beat you in the head further. Um, um, so, you know, just looking at your platform and I see that you detail how to take care of these issues. So that was something that I definitely um, appreciated. Um, and I guess, you know, speaking on on those types of uh, incidents that that make national headlines, um, we were curious to know, like when you went to college, uh, was there like a stigma attached to, to being from Baltimore? Because, you know, we've had the experience, um, you know, when you go out of state, everybody wants to ask, is it like the wire or how do you survive there? Like, did you get any of that? <laughs> no, because when did the wire come out? When did the wire become famous? Um, I want to say, was it 2004? I was going to say five, 2005, maybe. Mm. Yeah, I was, in, you know, I graduated from high school in 2003, so I feel oh, like I okay. was in college when people started watching The Wire. Mm-hmm. So like it wasn't it, like just like the Chappelle show. I remember Chappelle show. I feel like I was in college when people when the Chappelle show was famous, and that to me was more problematic than um than The Wire. Because mm. mm. Chappelle show people, the Chappelle show made people think it was okay. To say crazy stuff, right? Like, and because they're like, "Oh, the Chappelle Show said it," and you're like, mm, "That ain't okay," you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, overall, what was your experience? You know, uh, like going going to college in Maine, and uh, and what what did you major in? By the way, I majored in political theory. Uh, it was it was great. I loved it. Bowdoin is like one of the most magical places I've ever been. So, college was great. I love it. Um, I, I try to go back as often as I can. Uh, I'm still very close to so many people from college. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I loved it. Uh, Bowdoin was everything. Bowdoin was great. It was different, right? It was, I'd never, I didn't know you could see the stars like that, right? If that was new to me. Um, mm-hmm. I like it never, the tallest building in the state of Maine is like 20 floors, right? Uh so all that, that was just new or like I'd never seen a snowy beach. Like, so my relationship with nature changed. Um, yeah, but it was, uh, it was great. I learned, I, I like fell in love with my mind. Now, you, so do you feel like um, your time at Cadenceville, um, do you feel like your time in Cadenceville prepared you uh, for, for Bolton? No, I had to, you know, I'd never written a, I'd never written a, a twenty-page paper before. I had to write one my, like right when I got to college, and that was, and I had not, I didn't realize that I wasn't a great reader until I went to Bowdoin. It was like wow, I'm, I like just the learning how to read. I need, you know, really had to learn how to read better. Wow. Um, so no, I was not wholly prepared. Uh. When did you uh, fall in love with reading? Was that at Bowdoin or was it uh, 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 previous? No, it was at Bowdoin. Mm. You know, it was, I, was, I read The Republic, Plato's Republic, in, the, in uh, one of my first courses at Bowdoin. And I don't know if you've read The Republic, but it was really, it was amazing. Uh, and it was the thing that really changed my everything. Mm. 
what are some uh, uh, what are some of the other books that have uh, kind of influenced and shaped your worldview? Oh, so many. I think about the recent ones. Uh, you know, Bell, so many things by Bell Hooks, like um, Real Love, maybe is what it's called. We So Cool uh, by Bell was, was important to me. Uh, the Giver, which I read as a kid in middle school, is still one of the best. It's like probably the book that showed me the power of books. Um, Tiger Lily. Do you know who Tiger Lily was? Um, I've actually heard you uh, speak about it on another podcast. That's like the, uh, the uh, Peter Pan story. Yeah, yeah. Tiger yeah. Lily is Peter fell in love with first. Mm-hmm. And there's a book from her perspective. Um, great book. I mm-hmm. think about it often. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Book Thief is another book that, like, I, those two characters in it will always be, uh, like, I carry them with me. So, yeah, so many things. Mm-hmm. So, um, I guess from um, all of your um, experiences, um, you know, up until now, um, when it comes to, to to running for mayor, what was the process of, of making that decision like? Yeah, I was trying to figure out what are the... the where can I, what role can I be in to have an impact that will actually change people's lives today and tomorrow? Uh-huh. What are the concrete things that we can do to do it? You know, I obviously believe in pushing from the outside and it's what I've been doing. Uh-huh. And it's not either or. People need to continue pushing from the outside and people need to push from the inside. But that is, but that's the work. So, so uh, you were saying that, um, that uh, you wanted to uh, make the most impact from the, uh, uh, I guess now trying to move into the inside you're just trying to figure out where can I make the most impact. And so much of the work is, uh, so much of the work is at the local level. Uh-huh. Uh, so offered a platform and a vision that I thought could actually tap into the promise and possibility of the city. That that's like really important to me, uh, and I and I believe those things. So, so what's what's um, what's the future plans for your uh, organization? You know, I'm focused on. Um, I'm focused on April 26th right now. Uh-huh. And um, so, what's what's the uh, the thing that that uh, I guess you know when it comes to uh, campaigning? Um, um, what are some of the surprises that you you've come across, or what are some of the things that you've learned um, at this point? Um, you know, doing this work um, as opposed to the work that you've previously done uh, organizing from the outside. Mm, I've learned so much about fundraising. Lord, fundraising is is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's really important to me that this remains a conversation about the real issues. And and I think my platform is a testament to the issues and a focus on the issues. And that's, that's like real, that's like near to my heart. Um, yeah, and, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of work to be done, you know? This city is a, is a city that has, almost been so many things and we've never had a strong leader so but we haven't had a strong leader in a long time and i, and I we need one uh, i guess the thing that's kind of refreshing to me about your campaign is that it's not one of the same names that i've seen since <laughs> uh you know i was in middle school um you know it's 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 something that's that's not from the same pipeline of city council to, you know, this position up until mayor, um, that, you know, 
has kind of dominated um, uh, so far. Um, so when it comes to to actually uh, financing your campaign, um, I I guess just so people can uh, learn more about the political process, what exactly uh, do the funds go to, and how can that help you secure the victory? Lord, so my you know the most expensive thing is either staff people or uh, or media like buying airtime on TV, radio. Uh -huh. uh, those are the single two biggest costs. Um, yeah. Mm. So, um, so how many people, how many, how much, how many staff people do you have in your campaign so far? Well, I can't tell you that. I can't begin worrying my campaign. I'm oh. <laughs> <laughs> it is, you know, we, around the fundraising, we do have like about 3,000 individual donors, which is really great. Uh -huh. yeah. So yeah. people who, who like really, uh, who like, who want to help and, you know, are helping and, and that's, that's really awesome, you know? Yeah, it seems it like seems a lot like of people think that you're a millionaire um, from your tweets. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I'm extra broke. I'm so broke that I couldn't make outcoming outgoing calls today and had to, you know, figure out how to pay my phone bill. So people are, uh, you know, I'm broke. I'm not a millionaire. <laughs> well, well, there you have it for um, for all the uh, detractors out there and all the naysayers. Um, I guess um, on the campaign trail, what have been some of your most uh, rewarding uh, experiences? So many, you know, just the people who like want to, um, they like want something different, you know, like people from all, all walks of life are like, we want something different and it's amazing and incredible and I've had so many good stories and so many people. So, so yeah. Uh. Um, how has the uh, debate uh, experience been for you um, at this point? Not the the debates, you know, privilege. Um, they privilege sound bites, right? And not and not a focus on detail. So we, this has been really key that we need to um, like we have to figure out a different way to talk about this work because people. It's like, what are you going to do about schools? And they're like, well, every kid's going to learn when I'm mayor. And you're like, I don't even know what that means, right? Uh -huh. But it's like the less people say, the more claps they get. And we have to, like, we just got to figure that out because it doesn't work. So I don't love the, um, I don't love the debates uh, because they just, it's not actually a debate about substance. It's about who can yell the loudest. Uh -huh. Yeah, especially when it comes to the people um who uh you know the the people who who ask the candidates questions and it seems like a lot of times it's really just someone who gets up to a microphone and yelling and screaming and shouting and you know it really doesn't help out it doesn't really uh it doesn't move things along when it comes to the conversation um from what I've seen so I think a lot of uh, more structure could be added to a lot of these um mayoral forums that the city has been having um having all throughout Baltimore. Yeah. Oh, and it's like real questions. And yeah, it's just it's not it. This isn't it. Yeah. I guess um, on a national level, I mean, it does seem like people, uh, you know, do want to change away from the the uh, the, the structures of politics as they've uh, been, you know, ingrained for so many years. Um, so now, I guess on a national level, you see the uh, the hit the um, Bernie Sanders and the Trumps who are like kind of seen as uh, outsiders. 
Um, and, you know, you're kind of coming into this race as an outsider as well. Of course, not, you know, the same as Trump. Um, and I was just wondering, um, you know, do you sense like a like a feeling of, um, I guess, you know, people wanting change nationally as well as um, locally behind campaigns such as yours or Bernie's or um, even a Trump's? Getting the people everywhere I go are like, mm-hmm. this isn't working. That these people are the people who got us here. And they want something different. With Trump, the, the want something different is dangerous for all us. Right. Uh, in some places, that's not the case. In Chicago, they want a different attorney from Anita. And, the, and like, there actually should be a really, you know, they're real good options. So, yeah. Um, I was curious to know what was you, uh, what was your experience like when you uh, met with Obama? Um, you know, how did that feel, and what did you guys talk about? Oh, Obama's great. Uh, you know, like a good guy. We don't. We obviously don't agree on everything. And, uh-huh. Yeah, but he is, you know, thoughtful. The senior administration's thoughtful. Pushing them to, to be aggressive while they deal with police violence um, is a good conversation. There was substance. Uh, I need to, you just reminded me, I need to send off an email to one of the senior staffers about some work we're doing around the use of force stuff. So, uh, you know, Valerie Jarrett's been really positive and really thoughtful as well. So, yeah, it's been good. Yeah. Now, 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 um, let me just see. So when it comes to, um, I guess, use of force in the police department, um, you know, what, what are some of the changes from uh, your, your platform um, that, that you would like to see um, initiated uh, that you would kind of push for for the police department um, in terms of, you know, creating better community relations and, and um, I guess, having more accountability? Yep, so many things is remember that the safety of our communities is not predicated on the presence of police, right? That like safety is so much more than policing. The prevention work of safety is not police work at all. The response to crime is 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 police, but it's also mental health mental health providers. And solving crime is where the police really are supposed to come in and they can't do that if the community doesn't trust them. And the solving crime, you know, communities will not trust the police until they're accountable and there's integrity in police department. So there are a host of things I call for. We need to expand the DOJ consent decree. We need to we need to pull back the provision that says that officers can't be drug tested in the event of a deadly shooting. There are a host of things. And um, something else that I that I um, definitely appreciated seeing in your platform was uh, your focus on on uh, arts and culture, um, I think that that's, you know, so important. Um, so can you uh, uh, detail some of your initiatives when it comes to that? Yeah, so it's about, like, making sure that we have access around equity to... Um, making sure that there's, that there's equity with regard to access to resources, right? That, like, so much of the, the money in the... Um, and the capital that goes into art is is not necessarily for people in underrepresented communities, and we need to work on that. Uh, so, so that is like one of the core foundation of the arts platform that I'm offering, oh. and that's really important to see like this. And then it's like the the you know the stuff that is more traditional, the 
making sure there's housing, housing for artists and we do artist co-ops and we support a range of artists, including street artists and, um, and other sort of non-traditional fine artists. Because when people think about artists, they think about like people who draw, uh, but art is so much more. So, yeah. All right. And uh, can you briefly detail some of your uh, health initiatives for the city? Yep. So when I think about health, it's this idea that it's health beyond hospitals, right? That like most people think about health, they think about doctors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's so much of what you do every day. It's about exercise and it's about making sure that you aren't diabetic. And, you know, it's about the choices you make around sex. Um, it's about your access to food. Right? It's not just the hospital. And we have to like start with that frame so that people can understand it as they go into making decisions and as we plan at the policy level. So that's sort of the thrust of it. It's, you know, some initiatives around their pain, around public housing, around asthma. And then also talking about the environment, uh, you know, the sewage in the cities. There's a lot of sewage, the harbor is, there's so much stuff we're dumping into the harbor. Yeah, so it's a, you know, I've offered the first and the only comprehensive plan that that focuses on crime, safety, and education, but also the other things that are really important in people's lives. Like we talked about arts and culture, health, neighborhoods, housing. Like we have to talk about all these things. Yeah, um, I definitely agree. Um, and, you know, your plan is uh, very comprehensive. If, if people haven't checked it out, um, you know, on your website, you know, it's, you know, 26 pages and you lay out uh, a lot of uh, facts and figures behind what you're actually, um, you know, proposing. Um, and one of the things that I found impressive as well is that uh, you're not afraid to to look at what other cities are doing when it comes to certain things and seeing how, um, you know, some things that they try might be um, implemented here. Um, so like when it comes to what you were saying about exercise, um, I, um, I think I heard you speak once about, uh, community gyms. Yeah. yeah. Where'd you hear me say that? I've only really said that once. Uh, I think that was, uh, WNYC. Oh yeah. Or... Public gym. Houston, Houston, Houston has a public gym. Yeah. If the goal is like to actually make sure that people aren't obese and we need to encourage, um, Exercise, like we need to be thoughtful about how we do it, and, and there there are a range of options. Um, and public gyms are one. I think that'd be really interesting. I'm also calling for a citywide intramural league, so that kids uh, and adults have structured uh, sports and other activities to be in. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, even if it could be something like um, I don't know if you've seen like around Lake Montebello how they have that they install like the kind of exercise equipment on the side, and a lot of times you have people working out there. But, um, you know, something like that around, you know, all the places where people kind of go to walk. Um, I think, you know, it kind of when you said community gyms, I kind of thought of that. Um, and, you know, I think that's a good idea to kind of push it forward um, because health is definitely important. Um, and um, also, um, I see that you uh, also focus on uh, ending the war on drugs. And that's something that we kind of focus on a lot, too, um, especially after reading uh, Michelle Alexander's book. Um, so can you speak to to the uh, impact of the war on drugs on the city and um, how you would like to change it? Yeah, it is. Uh, so in the city, we know that we know that we've tried to arrest. We tried the whole idea of like arresting people and that hasn't actually decreased crime. You know, we tried gun buyback programs that hasn't really done anything. We tried a ceasefire and it's, 
um, which was well-intentioned, but, you know, and if we did it the right way, it actually might make an impact. So when we think about the war on drugs, what we know is that addiction is a, is a disease, right? It's a public health issue. It's not, we need to decriminalize addiction. We have city of 70,000 addicts. And at that scale, we have to figure out how to do the solutions at scale. So in, inpatient treatment, 24-hour access to treatment for people, not just to focus on outpatient and methadone clinics, partnering with people at NA. You know, we have to have a holistic plan that, again, is about scale because the problem is at scale. Uh, and when we think about um, mass incarceration, you know, it's not just an issue of arrest, but it's also an issue of uh, like bail, you know, I'm, the, I'm calling for an end to cash bail that people shouldn't, you know, DC into cash bail in the world didn't. We can end cash bail here. Mm. Those sort of things. We shouldn't criminalize people for being poor either. And then when it comes to um, addiction, um, something recently that stuck out to me is is how I guess they've declared that there's a heroin epidemic in Maryland, um, and it seems like now that that it's been made aware that it's spread to other communities outside of, you know, the African-American community and the state, um, that now all of a sudden it's a huge epidemic when it's something that, that, you know, we've been struggling uh, with for years. I don't know um, um, if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I don't have anything, I don't have anything to say besides you're right, right? There's no, you're completely correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, yeah, we need to, we need to figure out how to solve it, right? We know that we live in a racist world, and that doesn't mean that. Um, yeah, we live in a racist world. It is a, that's a real problem around the heroin epidemic, and that all of a sudden it's a public health issue, and the people in this city have been dying from heroin for decades. Uh, we maybe maybe this will open up new avenues for treatment, right? And like when you think about injection sites and stuff like that. Uh, maybe that's what we'll start. Um, we'll start thinking through. So I'm excited about like the possibility, and and Lord knows we have to figure out how to. Uh, we have to figure out how to actually do this. You know, like we got people's lives hanging the balance here in Baltimore. Uh-huh. Uh, this is not just like fodder. Uh-huh. And um, you know, with certain state initiatives like uh, that one. Um, you know, that's targeting the heroin use. Um, I was curious to know how you, how you see yourself, uh, I guess, interfacing and advocating at the state level, um, and you know, uh, getting along with Larry Hogan and other state officials um, when it comes to, to to getting certain things done in the city. Yeah, I think I've shown, especially over the last eighteen months, my ability to work with people. Uh, you know, I didn't meet with Obama because I. You know, the meeting with Obama is a testament to my ability to work with people, right? And Loretta Lynch and Bernie and Hillary and all these other people. So, you know, I'm excited about people coming to the table and saying that they that they have a commitment to the city and want to and want to figure out how to make that commitment work. So, yeah, I don't think that that'll be a problem. I have to go at 7:30 to see you. Okay. Okay. Well, we're gonna uh, I'll wrap this up shortly. Um, I was actually just going to ask in closing. Um, um, what you know? Do you want to say for the people for your campaign, and um, how can they support you? Yeah, I'd say go to DeRayForMayor.com. It's the only platform that's focused on a range of issues about strategy and scale. The strategy piece is about linking the resources that exist, and then being really thoughtful about how we leverage and create new resources uh, in ways that are that are about changing people's lives today and tomorrow. Uh, 
And then the scale is about making sure that we address the, that we acknowledge the problems at scale, which doesn't mean when 25% of our pre-K kids are chronically absent, they miss 20 days or more. We have 70,000 addicts, 40% of our adults can't read. Like we have to, we have to address those problems at scale too. And, and thinking about how do we do that differently in a city where we've tried so many things and they have not changed outcomes. So I'm excited about it and I look forward to talking more about it. Okay, well, thank you so much. Uh, there you have it, uh, DeRay McKesson. Uh, he's not a millionaire. Uh, he is really from here. He really does care, and he really does have some comprehensive strategies to take care of some of the uh, the uh, issues that you know that plague the city. Uh, so we definitely thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Oh, awesome. Have a good one, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Feeling this here. Yeah, son, you feel it, man. Roll up, son. You gotta just do it, yeah, yo. Man. Yo, roll up, man. It's a different again. channel, son. Roll up, on, man. Roll up, watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. It's all good. Roll up, all good, baby, in every hood, Bridge. son. Roll up, yeah. CNN, Network Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Bold face, gather your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace. Cast more beef than Scarface. CNN, Network Channel 10, it's on again. Street niggas, this grown man. Bold face, gather your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace. Cast more beef to Scarface.